0: Hey, everybody, can you do me a quick favor? If you like our podcast, will you please subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen? It'll help more people find it and it'll encourage them to tune in. We really appreciate all your support. You're listening to Plucking Up, a podcast that shares uninhibited conversations with celebrated authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and leaders about their pluck-ups. Our guests will share their sometimes never-before-told mistakes, rejections, wrong turns, and more difficult seasons but also how they moved on and up to keep creating and inspiring others to build a life of purpose, passion, and impact. I'm your host, Liz Bohannon. Our guest today is an entrepreneur, investor, and award-winning producer whose last name you might recognize, Randy Zuckerberg. Before founding Zuckerberg Media, Randy was one of the earliest employees at Facebook and left an indelible mark when she created Facebook Live, you guys. In her next venture, she even added two-time Tony-winning producer on her long list of accomplishments. So you hear that little highlight reel. It sounds really fancy and awesome. And you might be tempted to think that Randy's journey is devoid of any failures or pluck-ups but you would be wrong. You'll hear more about that in today's conversation. We're going to talk to Randy about cultivating vulnerability, her unlikely journey in entrepreneurship, and how she's now pursuing her calling to inspire the next generation of business leaders. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, I would love to just start out for our listeners who are less familiar with you, can you just tell us a little bit about who are you? Where do you come from? Where did you grow up? What were the things that you remember earliest on in your life being interested in?
1: Mm, Well, I'm sure that your listeners are familiar with someone with the last name Zuckerberg. They might just (laughs) not be familiar with me. So I'm very excited today to, uh, get the opportunity to, uh, have them familiarized with other members of the family. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I grew up in upstate New York and, um, honestly, I think you would be like half bored and half surprised by how normal Mm -hmm. my childhood was. Like I, I so wish that I could point to anything in my childhood and be like, that was the moment that, you know, primed us for like social media or whatever. But no, we had like a. really normal childhood. Um, But for me, I was always interested in theater and performing um, was my real passion. And, you know, I didn't end up doing that as a career, but I always say that The arts prepared me for entrepreneurship better than anything else in my life because if you can learn how to get rejected Mm. and stand up in front of people and audition or say lines and have that confidence in yourself as a young child, you can handle anything that the business world throws at you.
0: I could not agree more. (laughs) I had a background, like I grew up doing theater as well. And no interest in business. I now run a company. And when people ask me what the single most like valuable, like I studied journalism, I didn't study business, but I did theater and I did improv. Yeah. And that I feel like the, one of the rules at our company, Seiko, that we employ kind of in our brainstorming meetings is the you know, famous improv rule of yes and, mm-hmm. right? This idea of like yes anding your colleagues' ideas and when something comes at you. And it makes you feel a little, like, thrown off or stupid or, like, embarrassed having this posture of, like, okay, like, how do we go with this? How do we build on that? Like, getting rejected, standing on front of, like, your peers in your high school years and, like, attempting to be funny and not being funny is devastating. And if you can, <laughs> like, do that and still wake up the next day, I'm like, oh, the rest of life is going to be fine.
1: A hundred percent. And I actually, I have um, recommended improv to so many business executives. Um, if they want to get better at public speaking, if they want to be better at managing people, I think learning how to speak on your feet or just learning how to react it, is so great. I Actually, I was just on a conversation before this where um, I had to give an entrepreneur 40 minutes of feedback, like pretty negative feedback about their product. And um, the entrepreneur to their credit just kept being like, yes, and wow. they didn't push back.
0: They just engaged in a brainstorm with me. And I was like, you know what? that is, That's the kind of person I want to work with. That is remarkable. And I mm-hmm. love that. And I love how that experience gets kind of tied back to those earliest interests of being in theater. I also love, you're like, we were a remarkably normal family. We can't pinpoint <laughs> the thing. And I I always ask this question to my guests. And sometimes I get an answer that's similar to this. And I have to admit that I favor these answers because <laughs> I love When we have these stories, I think so often in our recent, like, American culture around finding your passion and, like, discovering this single entity, you have people that do point to that one moment where it's like, well, this led to this, which obviously led to this. And I think that that can be really overwhelming and discouraging to people that don't have that story. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of people that I have found that are living lives of purpose and passion and impact... Can't point back to this like singular moment of like, I was always interested in this thing. And so it naturally led to this thing. It's, and I think hearing these stories of like, "Mm, actually, it happened a little bit differently. It was like, I, I can't really tie anything back to my childhood or like, you know, my earliest days, but I had this sense of curiosity and this interest in theater kind of prepped me for this thing that I couldn't have seen coming and then it developed and I love that that is part of your story.
1: Totally. No, you're so right because there's so much pressure on all of us to like find your calling like you said or find your one interest and quite frankly, I mean I feel like that puts way too much pressure on people. Um but also if you're a smart, talented, curious people, you probably have a lot of things you could be passionate about. And also, um, the jobs that we're all going to have don't even exist today. So, how could you be passionate about something that doesn't even exist? I think the best thing instead of telling people to like have a passion is to tell people to keep your eyes open. I love and that. to be ready to apply the skills and talents that you have, you know, to something that you truly
0: feel excited about. I love that. We talk a lot about just choosing curiosity in our community, and it's yeah. just like that's the thing that literally, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to have a certain background. You don't have to have a certain education. <laughs> Literally, you can just decide to be more curious and to cultivate that sense of like wonder and iteration and experimentation and to take that pressure off. So tell us a little bit. Give us like the elevator pitch of where that led you. So you had this interest in in theater, but it was kind of like vague and I liked it and I was interested in it, <laughs> but it wasn't a straight and narrow path. Give us the the summary of kind of your career up until this point.
1: Yeah. I mean, I always kept doing theater as a side interest. I sang with an acapella group in college. I, I did a lot of shows. Um, but I, I guess at some point it was time to, you know, join the real world. Uh, I worked in marketing actually at a big firm called Ogilvy and Mather in oh, New yeah. York City. Yeah. Um, it was a great experience. I did this, this training program my first year there where they match you with a nonprofit. So you get to actually design an advertising campaign oh, for a nonprofit. Cool. Um, so you're really thrown into the weeds. You have to learn about marketing on the fly and the charity gets a free ad campaign. So it's a great experience. And, um, towards the end of that, that was when I started getting kind of phone calls from my brother saying, Hey, I could really use someone who knows marketing to help me with this little project that I'm doing. And, uh, I decided, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go out there for a weekend and just see what he's doing. And then, uh, 10 years later, I was still there. So So you were at Facebook um,
0: for 10 years.
1: um, I was at Facebook for almost 10 years. Okay. I I actually, I only just about four years ago, moved back to New York City. So I I do live in New York now um, and surrounded by theater everywhere in my life. But uh, that was an unexpected 10-year detour of my life to California, but just um, an incredible experience.
0: And you were really, you had a big hand in developing Facebook Live. Is that right? Yes. I mean, I was one of the
1: only kind of non-technical hires, I guess, wow. Um okay. when I started. Almost everyone else in the company were computer programmers and engineers. So um, anytime that I would have an idea, like, we should do something in politics, we should do something with celebrities, you know, it's not like you could assign that to someone else. I was the only one who was not a computer programmer. Yeah. So whenever I had an idea, like, we should do something with the election, I was like, oh, shoot, I guess I'm now running it because I I think I, I just volunteered to run that uh, entire I just thing. I volunteered to, to lead a new project. And um, so uh, for me, I felt like I got to run a lot of little startups, even inside a startup, which mm, is a very cool. cool experience.
0: But um, it's kind of the dream situation. It the was a, agility it was. and kind of creativity of a startup with some of the resources. It was great.
1: Some of them worked out. Some of them didn't. Um, but one thing I noticed is that, A lot of celebrities, politicians were really excited about using Facebook as a way to speak directly to their audience in a way that they couldn't if they were getting interviewed by a journalist. There's always some spin. But on on social media, they could speak directly to their audience. And we didn't have a way for anyone to do that through video yet. So um, we had one of these kind of all-night hackathons. And I launched this a little idea that i had called facebook live and then a few weeks later Katy perry ended up using it to announce her world tour wow and oh i remember it was, it was that. crazy and then within just a few months we were using it to live stream president obama's inauguration i mean it was just wow. this um this incredible slew of events that all happened in a very short time and now there's you know 2 billion people around the world that have access to Facebook live. So that is that was was my baby, but I have to say it was like my side hustle at Facebook. (laughs) It was not even my (laughs) full-time job running Facebook live. Like that's what it's like to be at a startup is even something that 2 billion people were using was like my side hustle in the company.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is amazing. It sounds like you guys definitely employed kind of the MVP, minimally viable product of like figure it out, Overnight in a hackathon, get it up, figure out what the kinks are once it's out. Would you say that was very much so the experience with launching Facebook Live?
1: Totally. And I think just in Silicon Valley, that is the mentality that I've really tried to carry into my own businesses. Like you hear phrases like move fast, break things, or it's better to launch something than to be perfect. And, um, you know, I think especially as a woman in business, we're very primed our whole lives to be perfect. And so a lot of women I, I speak with they don't want to launch something until it's perfect or they don't want to, um, put out their podcast or their article until they've like sat with it for a really long time. Um, but being in kind of that male dominated fast paced Silicon Valley culture, um, while there were definitely some things about it that were not perfect, um, for me, it really changed my own mindset about what it means to take risks and to move fast as a woman in business.
0: I love that. Okay. So Speaking of, move fast, break things, make mistakes. I feel like a lot of times, you know, we hear, I'm, I'm grateful that as a culture, it seems like we're moving in that direction of like progress over perfection and MVP. And I think it's a really healthy mentality, especially for women, right? To get us out of that, like it needs to be, you know, it has to be perfect. And I need to have all of my ducks in a row before I can present my idea or my project. It doesn't always work out, right? So it's like this kind of glamorized, we talk about failure, more than we used to in this kind of meta sense, a lot of what plucking up is about is this idea that um, failure actually is a real thing. So one of the things that I hope to do with this podcast is to talk to people that other people look at and they're like, oh my gosh, they're just going and everything they touch turns into gold and, you know, they like break stuff, but it always ends up like working out. And so I would love for you to share with us Something that broke that didn't feel like it was immediately like oh but it broke and then this led to that a time in your career or journey where you really plucked up and kind of take <laughs> us through that journey.
1: Um, gosh, I, I'm kidding. I've had I've had so many failures in my career, and that's why I I think that um you have to look at your career like a volume game. If you're if you're in enough projects and enough things, it's okay if. of them fail. Um, you know, one of them is going to be great. You just might not know which one of the ones it is. So, um, I've had to learn to like not be so precious about all the projects that I'm in because of of failure. Um, but I will say that my first project right after I left Facebook, I executive produced a television show for Bravo um, on NBC. It was, a series following six entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. They were, they had, these people had great personalities, big. I mean, they were, you would meet them and you're like, that person is perfect for reality television. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, (laughs) We all know those people. Exactly.
1: (laughs) But for some reason, the show just didn't work. Um, Mm. Our first episode got a ton of buzz and a lot of tune in, but then I guess people just sort of got bored of the show. It didn't stick. So viewers dropped off. And the entire season got canceled after a few episodes.
0: Wow. Okay, so how many episodes had you produced before it got canceled?
1: I think we had produced uh, somewhere between eight and ten episodes, and it was definitely canceled by four, by by the fourth episode. Wow, okay.
0: Okay. So I know that you're on the other side of this. Can you take us back to that moment where you get, I don't even know. Did they call you? You get an email. I've never produced a show for Bravo. But like when it's like, okay, this didn't work. It's an objective failure because we're we're canceling it. You don't know that you're going to go on to do all of these other things. All you know is like the present. What's your reaction to that? And what was the specific story that you told yourself about that failure?
1: I mean, gosh, it, it was, well, a failure you can you can always sort of start to see it coming. I don't think any entrepreneur should ever be surprised out of the blue by failure. If you're completely surprised by it, then you're obviously not, you know, interacting with your customers or looking at the data or anything. So, I mean, I could see that the Nielsen ratings each week were going down and that they weren't great and that they weren't what the network was hoping for. So, I knew that this wasn't great news. I mean, we tried a lot of things. We tried different press articles and we tried to do different stuff to, to get noticed, but who knows? There are a lot of great TV shows out there that, that get canceled and and who knows why people like certain things and, and why they don't. Yeah. Um, for me, I mean, there was a lot of conflicting feelings about it because it was my first project that I did on my own after I left Facebook and went out with my own production company. And so I felt there was a lot of pressure riding on it. And again, unfortunately for women out there, I think Men, when they fail, they fail up. They get a lot of other opportunities. Women, when we fail,
0: like... Sometimes people don't want to give us a second shot. and It's confirmation bias, right? If if the thought is she's probably not that capable and then you have a failure, it's like, okay, that's confirming that bias that we have, you know, about her competency. That's right. As opposed to, oh, it was like all of these external factors and it could have been this and it could have been that and you're coming out of it. I've heard a statistic and I don't know if it's true like most statistics I hear about this idea that men who have a, a failure are actually Slightly more likely to be able to go out and secure venture capital for their next venture, right?
1: Because it's like, oh, they're a risk taker, right? They're they're innovative, they're on the cutting edge, but yeah, for women, it just kind of confirms, oh, well, they they weren't good anyway, absolutely, and, and, and they naturally they failed, yeah. Um, so I so I had a lot of feelings about that because I felt like not only was it my own failure, but I was failing on behalf. Of thousands of other women who wanted to be executive producers on television. I mean, we just saw even, you know, a decade later at the Oscars, there's no female directors that are nominated. And so I think the failure of one woman is feels like you're carrying the failure of so many other women. So it was, it was kind of a particularly devastating moment. And, um, it was something that I, you know, I really just had to keep reminding myself, you know, there are, Thousands of television shows that come out every season and probably only six that stick in, like, the public zeitgeist. You know, the odds were not stacked in my favor from the right. beginning that this yeah. was going to be one. And and quite frankly, even getting a show two series it is a success.
0: Yeah. So that's a lot to carry. It's like you've got your own personal thing of like it's your first thing after Facebook. I'm sure there's this sense of like I've got to prove myself and then I can, you know, be out on my own. You feel this larger meta responsibility for like womankind to be successful. What did you do when you said I had to remind myself? Can you think of any of the things that helped you stop the spiral? Like, what were the things that you reached for that got you grounded in that space? Because we know that you went on to do a lot of other amazing things. This was not the end of the Randy Zuckerberg story. So what did that look like for you to kind of turn the ship around?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there were a few things that really turned the ship around. I think, first of all, um, the team that I worked with on that show was incredible. And I think that experience of trying to save the show bonded us all in Mm. in an interesting way that might not have if the show was like this rocket ship success. And so um, I felt very grateful to have kind of all of these new people in my life that I knew that, you know, I could be producing and, and working with for a long time. But I think the other thing that really turned it around was I would go into meetings about other projects And people, all they would say is like, that's so cool that you produced a TV show. Like, I don't even think they knew that it was off the air. Like, I I don't, and, and it made me remember that like, we are all so in our own heads, we think That everyone else is thinking about us and our failures all the time. And they're not, they're thinking about themselves. They don't like give a shit about us, to be totally honest. Like all these people knew when I would walk into a room is like, Oh, that's cool. You worked on a TV show. Like that's it. They didn't even care how the show turned out. They never watched a single episode of it. And so I ended up being like, you know what? Actually. Like it's, it was kind of a success even just to get that show on air because like quite frankly, like that's the only thing that matters is that, you know, I had that stamp of approval and, and that started to give me a lot of confidence and reminded me to get out of my own head a little more.
0: Oh my gosh. I'm literally like, Randy, can we get an Airstream and go on the road together and just evangelize about this message that no one's thinking about you as much as you think they are? And I think especially, like we have this tendency, I think I meet so many people that are like, my problem is that I'm just so insecure. I'm insecure about my failures. I'm insecure about not being successful. And in the most like gentle but truthful way, what I want to say is like, I don't think you have an insecurity problem. I think you actually have a very sneaky, overinflated ego where yes. you think people are thinking about you more than they are. And that it's just like, we are all, we're all just trying to survive. Totally. <laughs> like we're all thinking about our own careers and thinking about how we're going to get home from this board meeting that ran over to daycare before they close and charge me $80 a minute, you know, yes. to be late. And in my relationship with my sister and how it feels a little bit strained right now. And it's just like, I, we all have such limited time and energy that the idea that I am like watching you in your career, in your ratings, and then determining whether or not I see you as like a success or failure, that's actually like, pretty insane to think that. That is pretty insane that any of us would think that other people are thinking
1: about us that much. So, yes, I also think it's an exercise on owning your own narrative
0: Yeah, because
1: through the experience I just told you, I could walk into a room apologizing about my failed TV show, which I think is the approach a lot of women take, or I could walk into the room with a confident air and say, let me tell you about how the first project that I did on my own got bought to series." Yep. And got fundraising and hired a team of 50 people around it. Yep. And so, you know, that's the same exact
0: story that I just told you, just it's, you know, about the narrative that you want to walk into a room with. That is so, so good. I love the idea of, like, you, you get to be the narrator. Like, you get to point out, you get to frame the story, you get to use that, even in a way that I, I think when I see people really own even the failure side of it in a way that's, like, empowered. I feel so inspired by that. And just like the power that we have to be able to do that and to know that for the most part, people are going to take your lead. Like, again, they don't have time to be (laughs) writing your story for you. So when you come into a room with a story, generally people are going to be like, "Okay, we're going along with it. Let's learn from that. Let's go off of that energy. Let's, you know, understand what she learned from that or be inspired by the success that she had. How would you balance that? with leading with vulnerability and authenticity so kind of owning the narrative and getting to have control over that also being really honest about our failures yeah
1: i mean i i don't i think that's a really fine line to walk because i think it's wonderful to be vulnerable as a leader to have empathy at the same time, I also, I do feel that women cannot get away with being vulnerable as much as men can, because I think we're already seen as being a little weaker in business. And so if you do show that vulnerability, like you said, it's that confirmation bias. And so um I think maybe there are ways to be strong and confident in business, but a little bit more vulnerable in your personal life as, you know, as a mother uh, mm. or other areas. Um I I do think that failure is, it's something that everyone goes through and that it's wonderful to be able to talk about failures and, and but instead of just saying that you failed to really put a spin on it of what you learned from it and what you're going to do next. But yeah, I struggle with this a lot because I so desperately want to create a world where people can be authentic and vulnerable and not just putting their best face forward on the internet. But I do worry for a lot of women that if we are too vulnerable, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot when we already have a disadvantage
0: you know that is so interesting and I wish I had something <laughs> really insightful to be like I've thought about that and here's the solution and it really does feel sticky frankly yeah I think it does where it's like and I think sometimes even in my work I wonder if I overcorrect in um in vulnerability because sometimes I do feel like as a young woman, leading. And I co-lead a company with my husband. So we run the company together. So I kind of have this interesting variable that I get to kind of, you know, look at it like we both were the co-CEOs. And sometimes I do feel like the expectation that is on me for friendship and for people to like me and to have this really personable, vulnerable posture feels like it's pretty different than what people expect out of my husband. And so when he does that and is vulnerable, it feels like the reaction is kind of more like, oh, that's so like... Awesome. Whereas for me, it almost kind of feels like there's like this expectation that I'm going to be not just your boss, but like your person.
1: Right. Of course, you're going to be likable. Like in addition to being yes, a great that leader,
0: likability thing, and the fact that we, as a culture, associate success and likability with men. And they're negatively associated with women. I'm sure you've heard about the study where, I think it was Harvard that did it. Oh, where they just switched the name? They literally just switched the name on top of the resume. So for those of you that don't know, there was a study where they had the exact same resume, really high-performing, kind of high-achieving resume. And on one resume, they had a man's name. And on the other resume, they had a woman's name. And then after it, one of the things that they kind of pulled people on was literally just likability do you want to be this person's friend? Do you want to hang out with him at the dinner party? Do you want to be associated with them? And the like overwhelming response was when it, the man was really successful, his likability went up. People were like, oh, yeah, I want to be friends with that guy. He seems like he's probably an awesome, fun, you know, amazing, successful guy. I want to be next to him at the dinner party, and for women, it was actually negatively correlated. And it's one yeah, of the people things, were saying
1: they were like, "She's
0: aggressive. She's this." Even though it's the exact same competitive. As a man. Yeah, she's yeah. cutthroat. Totally. One of the things in our community that we're really trying to work on is this idea of beloved female leaders that like we celebrate success and we celebrate numbers and we celebrate sales and like this idea of really busting that myth that it's like being successful actually like think about all the amazing ways that you're able to then inspire and empower and build community in this sense of collective ambition that like success is one tool for relationship and for community totally. and for likability but it takes a lot of work to kind of correct that sense of like well as a woman rises we're going to be more suspicious of her we're going to be more you know hand Off. Um, And so I think that's a really good point that you bring up, just about kind of the that unfair expectation. And any time in society where it's unequal, how do we engage in a way that might need to be a little bit different in order to get us closer to that like equality spot?
1: Totally. And I hope that you know those of us who do have platforms where we can be more vulnerable um, can take advantage of that for all the women who maybe work in like a bro culture and finance and banking or pulling overnight shifts at at hospitals and things like that who probably don't get those kind of chances to be vulnerable or else it might jeopardize their career.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I do love your point about cultivating vulnerability in other spaces too. And I think helping practice in one area, I know like community and friendship is literally one of the core values of my life. And I feel like any vulnerability that I can bring into the workplace is really because I've had this opportunity to exercise it in this safer place that is there's less expectations, there's less, you know, it's just friendship. And so it's like cultivating those really safe, vulnerable friendships kind of helps you like build the muscle to be able to do that when it does feel like maybe the stakes are a little bit higher. Totally. So speaking of just kind of um, what's next, Tell us what you're up to. What's keeping you up at night right now? What's lighting your fire? What are you working on that you want us to know about?
1: Gosh, well, I have a few projects I'm working on now that I'm very excited about. I just um published a, a book called Pick Three that touches on a lot of these topics we've been talking about. It's kind of the anti work life balance manual. Love
0: it. Preach to and me, it's because, Randy. <laughs> I truly
1: believe that none of us accomplish anything we're proud of in life or have a moment of excellence when we're trying to have perfect balance. So um, it's really a guide to being well lopsided while maintaining <laughs> your, your health and your sanity. Um, and it's about how you can really only pick three things to be good at wow, every single I day. That. So I, I interviewed everyone from kind of Olympic athletes to people going through drug rehab recovery to everyone about kind of how they
0: prioritize in
1: order to be excellent at the thing they're
0: focused on. Oh, my gosh. That is so good. I love that so much. And in my book, I have this concept called very important promises. And the idea and one of the phrases that I say is you only have so many plucks to give. so right. Give them carefully and only give a few. Yeah. And once you make a promise, be crazy committed to it, but don't make very many promises. Yeah. And if it's not a promise, it literally doesn't matter.
1: I, I love that. Um, the other project I'm working on now is something called Zuckerberg Institute. And uh, we're actually taking entrepreneurs, both kind of high school, college age, uh, who aspire to be entrepreneurs um, or people who already have their own businesses later in life. Um, and we're taking people on experiential trips. In order to really see your business in a new mindset, so we're okay. I'm um, opening
0: up a new tab. I'm like, how do uh, I apply to be a part of the Zuckerberg (laughs) Institute?
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, you have to! We we took um, about 15 entrepreneurs to meet the Dalai Lama uh, in India and did a whole retreat on mindfulness and meditation and leadership, which was just an incredible experience. Mm -hmm. And then um, we have one that we're planning for this summer in Silicon Valley for young um, up-and-coming entrepreneurs where we're actually going to take them to just the kind of wildest places around Silicon Valley where you can buy pizza with Bitcoin or have robots make you coffee and kind of get inspired that by the end of the trip everyone will walk away with a business plan and kind of ready to
0: get back into their community that is so fun literally my face kind of hurts a little bit hearing you talk about that <laughs> what a dream and what's your greatest hope for these young entrepreneurs or for these more established entrepreneurs what are they coming out of this experience with
1: I think my greatest hope is that um you know we I think we have this kind of ideal image of what an entrepreneur looks like in this country and uh, most people don't fit that mold of kind of like the young white male in a hoodie. And um, (laughs) our country was built on the backs of entrepreneurs and small business owners and people willing to take risks. But somehow in pop culture, we have lost valuing kind of people of all ages, Mm. ethnicities, genders. We have stopped valuing them as entrepreneurs or telling them that they could be. I had a very unlikely journey to entrepreneurship myself. I never thought that I would be an entrepreneur. And so I feel like I really have a calling now to inspire all kinds of people of all ages and walks of life to find that inner entrepreneur.
0: I love that. And as an as a fellow entrepreneur, I'm now 10 years in, I have to know to another entrepreneur, can you spell entrepreneur yet?
1: No, definitely not. So I especially not after being up all night with an infant and like I'm only on my first cup of coffee of the day. So, you know, that is definitely not a thing that's going to happen.
0: The other day I was like, entrepreneurs have to have we have to have the highest rate of people in our, like, you know, profession that literally can't spell their own profession because I'm 10 years in and autocorrect still gets me sometimes.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you asked me to spell entrepreneur right now, I'd be like, is there a silent Q
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's a squiggly line above one of the letters. I'm not exactly. quite sure. Is there, is there an accent? <laughs> I love it. Okay. So pluck. Pluck means spirited and determined courage. And we'd mm. love to know what does pluck look like in your life? I
1: think um, pluck to me means going into a situation with enough courage that you can kind of drown out the naysayers, but being open enough to listen to feedback and not
0: being too blinded by your own vision. Mic drop. That was such a great, I think touching on that balance, because I think oftentimes we do, there's this sense of like, courage, don't listen to anybody and just march to the beat of your own drum but especially for i mean not really just for entrepreneurs for anybody feedback is really important and like having a humility and curiosity to listen while holding on to the core message of who you are and what you're creating into the world but having like you said the entrepreneur that you gave difficult feedback to having a willingness to say yes and and to hear criticism and that like kind of balance I think is a brilliant brilliant thing to bring into the definition of courage hanging on to that core pluck while also having the curiosity to grow and to learn and to do better if you will Randy thank you so much this was such a great conversation this was so awesome I just feel like you have so much wisdom and I'm so excited for listeners to hear this and to learn from you and to follow along uh, with your adventures and we know you're up to great and plucky things Things, and we're uh, excited to see what's next for you. So, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I can't wait, and uh, thanks for having me on. And I'm applying to the Zuckerberg Institute. So, yes! just can't I'm wait. putting I'm I'm putting my own good word in right now, live in I front can't. of lots it's, of other people. It, you're 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 in.
1: You're in. <laughs> thank you, Randy. <laughs> oh.
0: Randy Zuckerberg. I'm not kidding about that idea of wanting to rent an Airstream and travel the world with Randy Zuckerberg, telling people that no one's thinking about you as much as you think they are. So go live your best life. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. If someone with the last name Zuckerberg, which has to be one of the most widely recognized names in the world right now, can say, you know what? I got to a place where I realized like no one is thinking about me as much as I think they are. So how do I continue on? How do I keep creating? How do I keep pivoting? How do I keep iterating? How do I go on to build a life of purpose, passion, and impact that I'm proud of and have the freedom to do that. I believe in us, you guys. We can do the same thing too. Man, I loved that conversation and I hope that you all liked it as well. And if you did like it, before we go, please do us a favor and subscribe to our show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Please write us and give us a review. It'll help more people learn about our brand new show. Thanks so much to Baker Publishing Group and to Human Group Media for making this podcast possible. For more updates and announcements about the show, you can also visit lizbohannon.co or follow us on Instagram at lizbohannon or at sincerelyhuman. All right, you guys, we'll catch you later in the next episode. And until then, stay plucky.